Good day, everybody, and welcome to episode 183 of Effect, Exploring the Ruins. I'm Dave, as always. And I'm Matthew, as I often am. <laughs> and uh, as we often do, except last week when we had no episode at all to offer you, Sorry, we're running a bit late. Uh, but we do have an interesting episode this week, although no pre-recorded content, Dave. No, I know. It's, no, uh, no, it's... we're slipping on that one. Well, it's because we've got a lot... To, I've got a lot of questions I want to ask you, Dave, basically. And I've got questions to ask you about the One Ring and um, the Ruins of Simbaroom. But mm -hmm. we'll do that after we've said... Uh, welcome to and thank you to our new patrons and talked a little bit about the world of gaming um, and then at the end of the program we'll explain why we were so busy last week that we couldn't record an episode and that is all to do with tales of the old west indeed i was wondering why we were so busy last week and i hadn't realized it was because you were finishing off tales of the old west layout so, <laughs> so I was going to say, why did you mean we had to miss it last week? But uh, for, I won't say that now. That's fine. Well, there was that. Uh, there, there was some other stuff, you know, personal stuff around that as well. But mostly, uh, uh, well, two things, actually. Yes, there was the layout. I, I was determined that I was going to do the layout for Tales of the Old West. And then I bloody got called into work for two days. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Um, extra, because somebody was off sick. So um, uh, that that threw my laying out plans uh, askew. You should, uh, but anyway. you, should, you should quit that job. It's no good for you. <laughs> Maybe. I think get, get, get another also... job. Get another job and quit that one. Go on. Well, I dare you. You know, Dave. You know, Dave, <laughs> that I am working hard on getting that other job. <clears throat> I had an interview this very morning and this very afternoon. I'm having a second interview. So they're, they're keen to get me on their books, I think. Um, and we'll see how that goes. And it may be another job, but it isn't going to make me any less busy, Dave. <laughs> no, no, if anything, I it's going it to make me busier. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, I was, Although, my, my, my implication there wasn't it was going to make you less busy. But, um, no, no. Yeah. It is going to get me a lot better paid than my uh, current minimum wage job, though. So uh, a lot better paid. Yeah, well, fingers uh, crossed you for, your, uh, for your interview this afternoon, pal. Good luck. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that, <laughs> that's news our patrons may be interested in uh, and our listeners may be interested in, but it's not necessarily what we're here to talk about. What we're here to talk about is games. Indeed. Well, I mean, first and things we, first, um, yeah, we have a new patron, don't we? We do. And we have a new patron who handily has uh, put her name into Patreon with a little message for you and I, Dave. <laughs> So, yes. uh, Frida, I hope you don't mind what I'm about to say, but uh, welcome to the podcast, Frida M. Hanertz, brackets, good luck pronouncing that, lads, close brackets. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it sounds to me okay, um, uh, from the way it's written on our show notes, but um, yeah, I mean, Frida, if, uh, if it's wrong, please um, let us know how we ought to pronounce it. Um, or unless, of course, it's more fun just listening to us struggle and get all embarrassed and humiliated about our terrible, terrible pronunciations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, drop us a like. I think Frida is already in our Discord. She's not um, uh, particularly uh, 
voluble person in the Discord, but she did, I think, join us about a week ago Brilliant. there. So yes. welcome to the Discord, the nicest place on the internet. Indeed. Um, and thank you once more for supporting our um, uh, our wonderful podcast. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, thanks Thanks very much, Frida, and thanks to everybody who uh, who supports and listens, as always. Yes, I love this community. You know, I love the fact that, uh, talking about my job, actually, I mentioned I got this interview tomorrow. I was having to gen up on some stuff. And Thomas said, look, I've been doing that for 20 years, that job you're applying for. Uh, yeah. Yeah, give me a shout if you need any help. <laughs> so uh, yeah. so I um, might still do that, Thomas. Well, you see, we don't call it the nicest place on the internet for any other reason than it is actually the nicest place on the internet. Nicest place there. Yeah. Yes, we have absolutely. fabulous community there and wonderful people. And we had just had a fun game last night of um, Tachyon Squadron Effect Flight, which is uh, which is just great fun. I mean, who knew pretending to fly around in Star Wars B wings, Y wings, and E wings would be fun? Hey. <laughs> yeah i have never seen us behave quite like seven-year-olds <laughs> gives me an excuse to get all my x-wing models out from the game that i never ever play um but I've got it wasn't just you dave no, everybody no, was no. going out with their little chips um and uh yeah, doing, pew, doing, pew, 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 pew. yeah and tie fighter noises that were very very poor tie fighter noises but great to try it <laughs> Yeah. Always good to try. We don't have the uh, the the sound effects knowledge of the the people that originally did it. And uh, I will, I'll get my Y wing down next time. I can see it there taunting yes. me because I didn't put it on the screen like the rest of you did. But next time, uh, next time, as we crash and burn or whatever, uh, that <laughs> is available on our YouTube. And it may be worth just pointing out that yet again for the third week in a row, um, I haven't edited an episode of the actual play. Uh, we we did do a, a poll earlier this week on Twitter, and we're going to run some more of Coriolis, our streamed play for Excellent. cool in audio format. But um, I've just been a bit busy these last couple of days, surprisingly busy. Yeah, uh, with it's job been, applications. It's so. been yeah, and um, this this could have been a good segue, but I said, I, and but I think we're going to talk about UK Games Expo at the end of. Um, the world of gaming. Well, but I've been really busy getting ready for um uh, for for my trip to UK Games Expo this year. So it's been a there's very a good busy... half hour of this program that is asking me about you getting ready for uh, your trip to UK Games Expo this year. So <laughs> please don't don't spoil it this far in advance. <laughs> Let's just touch on the uh, a relatively short, I think, this week world of gaming. What's the news, Dave? Um. Uh, well, I guess the main one is that. Uh... <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm just looking up the the show notes that you hurriedly did before we started recording, and Batan Man, the role playing game. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the main news is Batan Man, um, otherwise known as Batman. Um, yes. No, so so that wasn't the main news we were going to talk about, but we were, we were going to mention that we were going to talk about Blade Runner having now I think mm -hmm. just closed, hasn't it? It has finished. Uh, it's uh, it's kickstart run, uh, resulting in a whopping was it one point six million krona? Was it? Uh, more I than don't that? know. Might be more uh, than uh, that. <clears throat> I honestly don't know because I didn't back it. I did back it, but once I backed it, I wasn't really following it. Um, I'll have a, let's have a quick oh. look, see if it's still up. Oh, well, it will be. I mean, uh, you know, it would. Um, 
It won't be open to new bids. No, no, no. Uh, Let's have a little look. Um, But yes, it's quite interesting, actually. We were talking the other day, uh, or on our Discord, we had a few conversations where, where some people have suggested that the Blade Runner Kickstarter hasn't gone that well for Free League. Now, I didn't get involved in the conversation on the Discord, but the question I would have asked was, really? Um, what yardstick are you using to have that judgment? Because on the face of it, uh, and I've just got it up here, it's 15,323 backers for a total of 16,513,148 Swedish kroners, which is about 1 to 10 kroners to the pound. So that's, yeah. you know, 1.6 million. That's 1,600,000. million pounds. Mm-hmm. That's not unsuccessful, is it? it? Well, it doesn't seem so to me, but but people on the Discord possibly took a different view. So I I, I don't know the answer to my, my own question, so I don't know if you had any, any insights well, into some of that. If I hadn't been so busy uh, earlier before this before recording this program, my intention was to uh, look at having seen those comments and not having followed the campaign all the way through. I thought I'd look at it on KickTrack. KickTrack uh, is a great website that scrapes data from Kickstarter and represents it in a number of different. Um, maybe insightful, maybe informative ways. And so you can see the number of comments posted each day and the average number of comments posted. And you can you know, see the number of pledges and you can see the amount of money pledged and things like that. And, you know, it'd be interesting to compare that, obviously, with that really successful uh, The One Ring um, campaign that Freely ran and see if there's some different shapes there. Um, mm. But I haven't done that. So... So, no, all I could possibly do is speculate. And I think I could speculate that maybe Blade Runner was never going to be as popular as The One Ring. How much did The One Ring get, then? Uh, I don't know. Shall we look that up in a Krona? Um I'm sure I can search for it here. Give me a moment. Do some talking while I look that up. Yeah, because I hadn't thought it earned that much. But yeah, I could be wrong. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're wrong. Again, that. once I, you know, once I back something, then I don't tend to bother going back looking at the Kickstarter. Uh, so I'm not really following the Kickstarters in the way that some people do. Um, yeah. So Joe, no. you, you, you're missing out on half the fun of um, uh, of kickstarting a thing. Why? why oh god, that's not going to work. Why is it? Uh, fun? The One Ring offers you a bunch of rings. Um. <laughs> Have you gone through to some porn site there, Matt? <laughs> no, no, no! Just wedding rings, uh, attractively made steel titanium rings, rings for all sorts of purposes, not necessarily for role playing in. Um, that's what I meant. Uh, oh, and interestingly, if you go to the Free League website, the one ring isn't there, which means that was probably done under Freel again. It's interesting that they haven't unified their two identities. This is scintillating listening. Carry on talking. <laughs> no, well, I'm just finding it myself. So the One Ring got 17 million kroner with 16,596 backers. So you're right. It did do better in terms of the number of backers and the total amount of money pledged to support it. Ah, well done. Thank you for that yeah. rescue. 
That's okay. <laughs> so yes, you're right. It did do more. I mean, thing is though. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess. I mean, but then again, you only one million kroner more. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes. So only a hundred thousand more uh, pounds. Yeah. Not not and in not a massively significant difference actually. No, about um, about fifteen hundred more um, backers. Yeah. And how many backers did it have? 1,200 more than Blade Runner. So it had 16,500. Yeah. Blade Runner had 15,300. doesn't strike me that um, that's yeah. a terrible result for Blade Runner at all. I don't think that's a terrible result for Blade Runner whatsoever. I mean, no. I mean going by... I mean, I, I don't follow other Kickstarters, so I'm sure there are other things Kickstarted other than games that I'm totally unaware of, that do much better than this and get many more backers. But mm. from a gaming perspective, from all the ones I've followed or looked at or backed, you know, this is this is the second biggest. Um, yeah. So, so on that, it, I mean, it might be a very kind of clumsy metric because I don't quite know what, what else, um, you know, Phil and the others were looking at to sort of question whether it was a successful um, Kickstarter or not. But it seems like a hell of a lot of money to me. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um, so I think one of the points that Phil was making on the Discord is it doesn't seem to have seen the growth uh, either through through the length of the campaign or the particularly the up uptick at the end. At the end, yeah. <clears throat> um, okay. But again, this was quote the most anticipated game of twenty twenty two. So obviously there are a lot of people there who are ready to. You know, put their money down on day one, yeah. and maybe they and we and everyone didn't do enough of a job of boosting sales throughout the length of the campaign. Maybe everybody committed to it early on, and there weren't that many more people joining. Throughout left, the yeah, left to, to tap into. Also, the so, um, the offer of the uh, if you back within the first twenty four hours, you got access to the the bonus artwork. So I think. That might have got. I mean, that got me to back it in the first twenty-four hours, whereas I might have waited a bit longer. Otherwise, yeah. So maybe they did front-load it by making that offer. Um, yeah, but still, I think those are entirely respectable numbers. And frankly, I don't think the appeal of Blade Runner, although I love Blade Runner, it's not as big. It doesn't have as big an audience as the One Ring. No, I think that's probably true. You no, know, <clears throat> or rather, I should say, as the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Has. I also I suspect uh, also that Lord of the Rings, the One Ring, has got a much broader approach in terms of the types of games you go to play. Um, yeah. Okay, it's going to be fantasy, but then there's a lot more perhaps in fantasy than there is in um, police procedural neon noir yeah. kind of games that you're going to be playing out of Blade Runner. Um, but no, I, I, if I was free leg, I'll be I'll be cock a hoop about that i'd be reasonably chuffed yeah. reasonably chuffed in the way that the swedes often are well they, th that is true they, yeah, they yeah. never present themselves as cock a hoop about anything or particularly thomas doesn't <laughs> thomas seems to be very much a, a restrained man in yeah but i'm sure he's 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 very happy <laughs> you'll you'll be seeing them though uh, so we can talk about that in a little while uh, yes and you can ask them some intimate questions about how happy they all are i'm sure um <laughs> before before we talk 
about you and our listeners, or at least our UK listeners, getting to see the Free League team um, next week. It's, it's fast approaching. It is. Um, shall we uh, just briefly mention Batman? Because that is another um, detective story. And uh, it's also kickstarting even as we speak. Um, it's called uh, Gotham City Stories. And it appears to be not, you know, a, a sort of general superhero um, role-playing game. Gotham City Chronicles is what it's called, not not stories. Uh. Um, it, and it's 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 actually the role-playing version of, I think, an existing sort of um, uh, slightly skirmish-based uh, board, board game. Board game, yeah. Um. But uh, we we will put a link in the show notes to the Kickstarter, but also you can download a, uh, what do you call it? A quick start version with an adventure in and characters. You get to play um, um, Alfred or Alfred's niece. I didn't know Alfred had a niece, but apparently she hmm. does. And she's a sort of soldier or indeed Batman um, and a bunch of people solving a crime. Um Anyway, it looks great um, if you're into that sort of thing, and it's being kickstarted even as we speak. And the idea behind it isn't to play kind of a superhero style game. No, I think it's more to play a detective story, which is what I thought it was interesting that mm. we're talking about it at the same time as talking about Blade the Runner. first very much detective story. Yeah. Yet again, I saw Thomas mention in relation to Blade Runner how it's inspired by Sherlock Holmes' consulting detective. Yes, yeah. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I, I'm I'm not a great fan of of Batman particularly. Um, the idea maybe of setting different stories in Gotham City might be more interesting to me as a player mm-hmm. than than I you know I wouldn't particularly want to play Batman. Um, but yeah, I think the idea of having a I think Gotham City as a almost a character in itself is an interesting place, and actually much more interesting to me anyway than Batman is. As a, as a person, mm. as, a, as a character. Um, and something that, you know, if this game allows you to explore that a bit with different characters and stuff, then that might be really cool. Um, yeah. I, I knew nothing about it until you mentioned it. I think I'd vaguely heard about it, but I hadn't really registered uh, in my consciousness that there was something there that might be worth a look. But, um, yeah, interesting. So what can I tell you about the system? I think the system is kind of D20-based. Um, you appear to have seven not six uh, or no no you've got six um characteristics and their strength constitution decks um you know so they it's a little bit D based um the important thing obviously is not the number but the 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 modifier for a lot of those things yeah they've got interestingly is to make very- the characters different they've got a lot of emphasis on what we would call talents in the year zero world yeah, and um, which they're calling for some reason ways in this. So you start off with um, potentially three initial ways, but then you can get more ways. And they are a little bit like we were first imagining the talents in Toto, a sort of sequential, you know, they skill tree of talents. Yeah, yeah. So okay. taking Nightwing, who's a character you can play in the way of investigation, your first one is analytical mind, which gives you a plus three on 
tests for searching for clues. Then next level of that is expertise detective, which gives you plus five on all sorts of detective work. Uh, next level on that is quick search, which halves the time doing that. And the next level, uh, the fourth level of that is eidetic memory, which is a plus five bonus to all general knowledge tests. Right. Um, it's not particularly grabbing me, I have to say. It's, I don't think it's a system that I'm is massively it, eager to try. Is it, is it like like you know you talk about the D twenty and the the similarities to to D and D? Is it a five E clone kind of thing or it doesn't look particularly five E? It's not it's not five E branded or no. you know compatible with five E uh, yeah, as far as yeah. I can see. Uh, we can talk more about that, can't we? In a little while, <laughs> we eh? Can. Um, one of the interesting things I spotted, though, is uh, you have a, a little stat called ethics. And your ethics seem to be scores for order and anarchy and justice and crime. Okay. So you've you got a higher score in crime than justice. I think you're a bit of a bad guy. And if you've got a higher score in anarchy than order, then you may be uh, more like the Joker than the Batman. Mm. Um but I thought that was interesting. They don't appear to be opposed scores, though. So right. I'm looking at Nightwing here, and he's got two each in order and anarchy. He's got four in justice and only one in crime. So um, it doesn't sound like, yeah, yeah, that they are they're linked. But you could argue that they ought to be. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, you know, it's. I was just saying that really because we have that sort of selfish versus community minded and um yeah good guy versus bad guy uh the scales in yeah. terms of the odd west indeed. but again we can talk about that in a bit <laughs> indeed we can yeah okay so I mean, it looks quite good i mean it's got 14 days to go at the point of recording which is friday the 27th um they've already smashed their goal they've got 683,000 pounds pledged so far 5,600 backers but um, yeah, if you're interested... oh, only five thousand six hundred backers. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid if Blade Runner's not done terribly well with its number of backers, then oh, Batman, who I would have thought was actually again another more popular IP than uh, than Blade Runner, not yeah, doing at all well, is it? Actually, no. I mean, maybe. I mean, the 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 artwork, the art style, the artwork is is, is very good, but it's it's I don't know. Maybe that just the style is possibly putting off what might be a large uh, community who would be interested, which might be you know, the younger. Although, I mean, having said that, there is quite a lot of cartoon, yeah, surely cartoony it's, style of... Yeah, it's a comic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, I've got to say, the rule book isn't a comic, but Batman is a comic, and yeah. these are comic-style illustrations. Yeah. No, no, I, yeah. I don't it's, think... No, I'm, agree I'm agreeing that my point was yeah. a crap one. Good point. Does, doesn't well well done for agreeing. Doesn't happen very often, you, but you know. You should always agree. When I when tell it, you you're crap, you always agree. Well, when I am crap, I'll agree that I'm crap, but it, <laughs> it only happens vanishingly rarely. Yeah, unless, I mean, unless, I of course, like unless, of course, it's trying to put a SIM card into an iPad and make it fucking work. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Now, let's hold that news for when we start talking about UK. <laughs> Games Expo. No, I don't want to talk we, about that because I'll just get my stress level going up again. <laughs> right. <sighs> so, um, 
Yeah, actually, that could be a good segue into UK Games Expo. Um, <laughs> yes. Who's going to UK Games Expo this year, Dave? I am. You're I'm not. not. <laughs> You're not. Um, no, um, a bunch of the free league guys are coming over. So now, um, unfortunately, Thomas isn't coming now. Um, oh, dear. Some, something's come up, so he's he's not going to be able to make it. But we've got uh, Nils, um, Martin Grip, um, Matthias uh, Jonsson Hacker, and Costa, I think, is coming. Costa Costulis. Oh, that would be lovely to see and Anna, again. And Anna, of course, is coming cool. as well. Brilliant. So, um, yeah, a good crowd of them. They, um, yeah, so they can look after the booth whilst I am sitting at a little table near them running demo games of The One Ring and Ruins of Simbarum, the Simbarum 5 So, I thought this made, this was enough of a um, uh, a topic to actually uh, talk about these things. I want to put you on the spot on these two games. Uh, <laughs> okay. Is there anything else we need to say, though, about UK Games Expo before we get into those two games? I think you're running a seminar, aren't you? I am. So, Friday lunchtime, 12.30, in the Meeple Room... I am doing a seminar about playability in role-playing games. So what do we mean by playability? How can we make sure our scenarios and games are playable? It's going to be an open uh, open seminar, so I'm going to it's going to be a conversation, hopefully it'll be a little bit interactive and we'll get everyone in a room, we'll have a chat about playability, what's what helps it, what hinders it. And um, you know how we could make our scenarios as 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 good as possible. I think I might have over-egged it a little bit in the title um, that I gave to Millie when we were talking about it, which was playability: how to make scenarios that will really impress your players. Well, hopefully, yeah. Um, you know, so I might have you might be slightly oversold there a little bit, but it should be a good fun conversation. And um, yeah, come along twelve thirty Friday at the Meeple Room and um, join the conversation. And I said I on Facebook, I think I said um, that get yourself some players that are easily impressed wasn't going to cut it for 45 minutes. <laughs> that, uh, is, that is number one thing on my list, though. You know, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Play with people who are easily impressed, number one. Uh, Excellent. Uh, I'll look forward to that. Any, anything else? Any other special appearances you're making? Or anything no, like that we need to no, tell people about? No, nothing else. Um, Free League are... Doing a panel discussion on Saturday. I'm not sure what time. Um, that's going to be emceed by Anna and Nils, and the guys will be there to answer questions from anybody who wants to ask them. Um, mm. So have a look on the UK Games Expo events page. You'll be able to find out exactly when that is. And um, sign up if you have to and go along. So you don't need to sign up for mine on the Friday. The room will take 60 people. So just show up and uh, and join us. I don't know about the others. Some of the other ones you will need to sign up for. So yeah, if you're yeah. interested in the free league question and answer session, um, have a look on the website. Make sure that you've signed up if you need to sign up for that. Brilliant. Okay, so that is UK Games Expo. I'm not going this year. Um, Tony, uh, your brother, is going, who is uh, one of the stars of our um, actual play stream. Of Yeah, um, the other thing I'm really looking forward to is obviously seeing all those people who are going to make it. So I know a number of our patrons are coming along. I think even, is, I think, is Mohammed coming? Mohammed is I coming. He has his visa. That's great. We yeah, are cause... having somebody 
flying from Egypt to Birmingham. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Just just to join us at UK Games Expo. I'm yeah, so, that's so gutted. That is the that I you know, I'm a bit disappointed I'm not going this year, but I'm really gutted that I'm not going to meet Mohammed. It's been yeah. such fun to play with on our streams. Absolutely. And um I would love to have um been able to uh, uh to have a chat with him in, in person but particularly considering the effort he's making to, to to come to uk games expo which is which is above and beyond but also yeah. really looking forward to seeing uh all the other guys and girls who will be there i know yeah bruce I know, um i know bruce um, craig phil and erin are going to be there for sure yeah. i'm not sure who else but if you're there neil i imagine he normally turns up let's hope so it'll be great to catch up with neil um yeah and our, our friends from, um, oh, what are they called? The Badgers. What's it? Band uh, of Bra- yeah, the Band, Band of Badgers. Badgers. Yeah, um, Dave and Steve from that are going to be there, so it'll be great to see them as well. So, yeah, it's a fabulous opportunity to uh, just to, you know, just catch up with everybody and, um, yeah, have a good time. A couple of beers, hopefully. And get Brilliant. as much, much sleep as I can, because I'm going to be... You know what? The last time we were running demo games... We were both fucked, weren't we, after running those demo games? And we were sharing well, them. Uh, I, was, I was exhausted after running those games. Now I'm running all of them. You know, I'm <laughs> going to be completely wasted. But wasted in a good way. It's, it's fun to run these games. Yeah. But it's, okay. it's, it's tiring. Let's get on to those games then. Let's talk about those games. First of all, I want to talk about the One Ring. Mm-hmm. Because I know you've had to uh, kind of... Well, both of these games, you've actually had to learn them and playtest them outside. So you've had your first One Ring experience, and I want to talk a little bit about that. How did you find <clears throat> running uh, the One Ring? What are you thinking about in terms of running it at UK Games Expo? Um, so I, I think for me, and for running a game at a convention, as a demo game, I really want to kind of like showcase the the bit the bits of the game that are are really kind of unique and special and mm-hmm. i think the, the the for me the biggest challenge in in running the one ring is is making it feel like you're in middle earth mm-hmm. um, i think the rule system is fine it's 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 reasonably straightforward it's 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 quite easy there are there aren't very many um, kind of hidden hidden bonuses or negatives or uh, modifiers and stuff that you might find with other games. Five <coughs> E, <5E. coughs> um, you know. So double um, cough you've got there. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll, we'll come, talk about that in about ten minutes. We'll Dave. come to five we'll E in, in a minute. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. Um, so I think the rule system is fine. So I think because. I've had quite a lot of preparation to do. I didn't go through the full rules of the one ring before I started doing this. So I just focused on the, the starter set. And yeah. as you know, I'm I'm not a super fan of starter sets. Um, no, I know your opinion on starter sets. As a, as a player, I, you know, I read the starter set and there's my, my mind is just focusing on all the stuff that is not said. And I'm like, so why does that happen? Why is that? How is that derived from that? How does this work? How does, you know, and all that stuff is left out because you don't need it if you're just going to kind of skim across the surface with a starter set and just get a sense and a taste of the game. So I, I, 
So I find I find it a bit difficult just to run something. Difficult, the wrong way, the wrong word. I find it for me slightly frustrating to run a game just out of a starter set because my brain is saying, "What about the rest? What about this? What about that?" Um, mm. And I, I find it quite hard to turn that off. Um, in running it, it was great fun. Um, the I run one of the scenarios from the the adventure pack that comes <laughs> with the starter set. I'm I should be running that scenario at the demo. So if you're thinking of so which in, one are you going to run? Because I've run them all now. Okay, so I'm going to run the middle one. It's called Most Excellent Fireworks. Oh, that is a good one actually. Yeah. Um, so that that's good. I mean. As you get with starter scenarios, they're quite railroady. They're quite mm-hmm. short, but they they this is quite. It was fun. I think the one of the things that works really well, which I think might be a slight. Okay, I can see why they've done it for the One Ring is um, the pre-generated characters. So mm-hmm. and they've taken pre-generated characters um, from you know from the books, characters that are either featured directly in the books or characters that are closely alluded to in the books. So, you know, you could play Bilbo Baggins or you could play Barlin. Um, yeah. You can play, uh, like, per- uh, not Peregrine Trick, Paladin Took. Or, Paladin um, Took, exactly. Yeah. A, couple of, a couple of the others who are, who are who are the parents of the likes of um, Pippin and Merry yeah. and, and, and others. Um, and, yeah, Drogo. You can play Drogo Baggins, who's Frodo's father. Um, mm-hmm. And that's great. So that... that immediately for a Lord of the Rings fan gives you something really tangible and kind of warm and comforting to get hold of. And my mm-hmm. players, when we when I did the playtest just to, to just learn the rules a bit, they really got stuck into playing the Hobbits. And one of them was playing Barlin and Barlin will be an option um, mm-hmm. at the demo. Um, and they made it actually I, as a GM, I had an easier time running that um, running that scenario because the players were so immediately and readily invested in the characters. But, the, they were but that's interesting because the group that I ran, even uh, two two players who haven't really done role playing games before, one of them might have dabbled, but but yeah. not seriously. Everybody was really into it, and it was that thing about oh, I recognise this character. Um, uh, Labelia brace girdle or whatever yeah. from from the books, um, and you know I'm they 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 all got really into character. It was a cinch, and yes. e- even especially especially the two who haven't done role playing before, um, uh, they they're very easy to to get a grasp on those characters and to imagine running them through that adventure or those adventures. Yeah. So I think you'll find that probably with a lot of the players that you meet at UK Games Expo, if if they're interested in Lords of the Rings, yes, then they'll they'll you'll find that they're all quite good at getting into that character. Yeah, it's an interesting um, thing that has kind of crossed my mind is that so I'm I'm running at the moment. The plan is to run equal number of games of the One Ring and the Ruins of Simbaroon, mm-hmm. and I'm I I don't know. I've got no sense as to how popular Ruins of Simbaroon is likely to be for people who are maybe Free League fans, principally, who are mm. going to come by the Free League booth and want to play a Free League game. Whether whether that whether that's going to put them off or not, well, 
I don't know. It's a it's tough one. Be, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because, um, well, with the One Ring, there's already been a version out. This is a second edition, but will people, you know, if people are coming to try something new, you know, we had people battering the door down when we went there to demo Alien because yeah. Alien wasn't even out yet. It had just been announced. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we could have we could have run 20 more games yeah, if only easily. we had the capacity to do so yeah. and, and, and fill them up. This time, these are both games that are in some ways stuff that's been around before and neither of them are games that are necessarily free league um, system games. So they don't have the uh, zero system. So it's not like no. people are going to say, oh, I want to try that new version of the system that I know and love. So I'm really intrigued to see which one is going to be the most popular. Mm. And actually, were you hinting that you think maybe Ruins of Simbaroom would be less popular than One Ring? Well, I was just, yeah, I was, uh, it, it's a speculation rather than a, you know, uh, rather than a, an analysis or anything. I mean, I've, mm. I've only played both of them once and I'll talk a bit about Ruins in a minute. Um but I, I just, I just wonder. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm speculating that possibly the One Ring might be more popular than Ruins of Cinderbroom. Because my speculation, which I hadn't actually worded in any way whatsoever, is I was vaguely thinking that maybe Ruins of Cinderbroom would be more popular than the One mm. Ring. In that the One Ring isn't massively changed from the first version, and you know, fans have either already got it if they're major fans or people might have had an experience of the first version and are kind of interested in maybe coming to buy it, but not necessarily mm. feeling the need for a demo game. Whereas I yeah, imagine, yeah. you know, there's many, many, many more 5e players in the world. And here is a new world to explore with 5e that may be genuinely new to a bunch of yeah. people. Yeah, possibly. And they might be eager to give that a go. I mean, it's so interesting. That's Sorry, go on. Uh, I was going to say, so that's that is again like you, purely speculation. Mm. No, nothing, no, no more evidence than what I've just said no. on that. And I'm I'm just intrigued to see how it turns out at the weekend when you're there. Yes, yeah, indeed. I mean, it's an interesting kind of observation that when we ran Alien, not only was it Alien, which I think was getting quite a lot of, you know, there was a core of people who were, you know, yeah. like. I won't use the phrase I was going to use, but were excessively excited about the idea of Alien anyway. And the there fact were guys from the Alien versus Predator uh, website, stream, YouTube channel, they, you know. Yeah, they yeah, were yeah. like the first to sign up, weren't they? Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that Alien hadn't come out at that point, as you said, mm. made it a really hot property. Now, I, I had wondered, you know, whether, and suggested this to Freely, you know, whether we ought to do a demo of Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they came back and said, "No, it's not. It's not ready enough yet. So it's not. It's not quite. It's not there uh, to do that." Which is a pity because mm. that would have there would have been people knocking the the stand over. That to get, might well to get... be effectively the new hotness, as they say. Yeah, um, that would have got loads of people coming to the booth to. Yeah, so I out. so I suspect. Um, so that, that 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 would have been good if it had been a, you know a possibility, but um, you know, sadly, sadly not. Um, so yeah, I mean, the one ring I've. I, I'm I'm very keen to get my full One Ring book off the shelf and read it and get into it because I think much more than previous role playing in Middle Earth um, 
did before. This has got me a bit excited about a fantasy mm. setting in Middle Earth. So I, I like it, I think. Um, I, I I do have comments on the quality is the wrong word, or on, on the way that the introductory scenarios have been put together um, for both One Ring and Ruins of Simbaroom. Um well, let's deal with one ring, actually, because I'm interested in that because uh, I've already commented on 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 those. Um, you can do some constructive criticism. I mean, there's only you and I here. Uh, the guys from Creedy are going to hear. Um, no, they don't listen to the I, podcast anyway. Do they? <clears throat> I I do, and I haven't actually necessarily worded uh, my constructive criticism yet, and I'd be interested to know how you'd improve them. Uh, it's just it. it it almost, this is going to be a fabulous kind of like segue stroke foreshadowing stroke personal plug. I think there's a playability thing about them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the the, the 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 ones in, the so for, for the One Ring, they are, I mean, <clears throat> I don't want to be, it's going to sound like I'm being a bit harsh and I don't mean to be because actually these are some good scenarios written on kind of, you know, four pages of text. So actually, mm-hmm. there's there's not much wordage in there, and they've got a, you know some very good, good yeah. scenarios in there. But but by the fact that they are so short, they do leave quite a lot of gaps for the GM to fill in, and mm. by necessity, they're quite railroaded. I mean, quite. Yeah. Let's drop let's drop the word. They are railroaded. I mean, I've only read the first three. I haven't read the last two, so they may be different. But well, believe me, uh, Adventure Four is. Almost literally a railroad. So. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, I think uh, I think you know, writing a short scenario like that, yeah, they are going to be railroaded. But you kind of want to give your players, um, you know, choices to make in that that can change the outcome of the scenario. And in these ones, it, it feels like you do a bit of investigation, you go through through a couple of minor scenes, and then you have the finale. Which is basically certainly the ones I've read. They are the finale is basically the same, um, which is fine. Which is fine, but it's it leaves a bit of filling in the gaps. And so what I've done with this copy is I've written on the book and I've filled in the gaps, just mm-hmm. to make the game flow better um, and make it feel a bit more consistent with something that might actually happen. So there's a couple of like gaps in in most excellent fireworks where it doesn't explain how certain things happen. It, they just do. And for yeah. the players, they're, they're, that's a gap, I think. And so it's not a huge thing, but I've just had to fill in some of those gaps, I think, for that. So, And I think they're probably, with a bit more care, you don't need to have them. No, um, no. I, I, I kind of agree. I, now, I don't know. We shouldn't necessarily spoil the story by talking about those gaps but one of the things that i thought was very obvious to me was um you know this is a starter adventure it's meant to be an instruction to you the gm as much as it is an introduction to the players that's very true and so you know they do some very nice as you say with with minimum words they manage to write in the style in a sort of talkiness style and tell a great adventure on not many words 
and also give you some instructions about you know this is how you use these skills and this is how they roll the dice and this is what success and failure might mean which is all fine and dandy except not all the hobbits have got the skills mm-hmm. and we were we were one down in terms of players so we only had four players so we weren't necessarily choosing the right hobbits also None of my players ever wanted to swap out their character for for Hobbit for um, Hobbit for um, Bilbo or for Balin, yeah. so they just didn't feature at all. And obviously, they're a lot more um, skilled than all the beginners that yes. the, the other characters are. So there were numerous occasions where it, it wasn't a problem for me because uh, you know it said there. So whoever rolls this thing these are the results and this skill and you're going nobody's got this skill yeah and this is a game yeah. where it's really hard to succeed um if you don't have the skill and so you know very often i had to do workarounds to say well you know if they did a different approach then something else would happen and that's fine for me because i know how role-playing games work but it yeah. did make me think that both as a as a new player or and particularly as a GM coming into the world, that that might be a real stumbling block that they expected a particular character to be there and to succeed or fail at a particular skill. Whereas, you know, there's a lot of sort of exploration ones where I can't remember what the skill is. Might well be it's exploration. Explore. Yeah. Explore. Where yeah. none of the hobbits have got that skill. No. And it says, and, so roll on this and just fail every time. That's, um, a, that, that's a good point because um, my players at the end of the, the playtest we did um, yeah. all said that the, the hobbits were far too similar to each other as characters yeah. in terms of their skills and what they could do. So actually, you've not got a, 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 you know, a very broad base of different things that you could, you could try and do. Um, mm. No, which again, I do think. Which again, you know, I think with a bit of care, you could easily have have mitigated exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Funny enough, that's exactly what I think. I mean, I can imagine creating each one of these characters from from the ground up. You know, they've created characters that feel like they could have been characters that Tolkien wrote about, and you know, and they're not adventures. That's the whole point of this. Is yeah. They're not adventures, so they're not necessarily going to have explore. But with a little bit of tweaking, I think you could have, you know said one of them likes you know playing in the woods and has got a point of explore or exactly or yeah like or and, or like the tooks do they you know they go into farmer what's his name's field and nick, yeah. his, nick his carrots farmer maggots you know, field, farmer yeah. maggots field. Yeah. and so therefore they've got an explore point for doing that kind of thing yeah so i i think a little bit more work on right we've written the adventure we've written the characters now let's just um sync those two up and make sure that you know a decent number of combinations of characters can achieve the aims of the book yeah but um but, but it's go. it's but it's i mean it's it's a nice book and i've i've I enjoyed running it um the um the finale as well there's there's no guidance for that for that particular scenario there's no guide i don't want to do any spoilers here but there's no guidance for how that finale might play out in a bad <laughs> way so uh and that's also an example that um that I'll mention when it comes to the ruins of Simbroom as well, but um, okay, but yeah, so it should be good fun, and the characters are great, and it's a good little story. Um, just as a GM, I felt the need to 
to do some bit of connective tissue with some of it and and, and think about how the finale would play out. Uh, but yeah, good. Yeah, it's good, it's good stuff. So let us uh, move on to Ruins of Simbaroom because yeah. Dave, how long is it since you've run D and D? Well, now it's two days. <laughs> it's a couple of days. Before <laughs> but, then, how long was it since you'd run D&D? Since I'd run D&D, so I would have been 18 when I ran D&D last time. So that's 34 years. Yeah. Maybe 19, maybe 90, 33 years. And I did play so, a bit. I played a bit at university. Yeah, but I didn't, I, that's I didn't, why I, I didn't specifically said run. <laughs> But still, um, that's going to be 30 years. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so you had to learn 5e, and then you had to learn the ruins of Simbaroom. How was that experience for you, Dave? <laughs> um, it, uh, it was a double-edged sword. So <laughs> it, I took... So I, I know, not having a lot of time, I deliberately decided I was just going to focus on the bits of 5e that I needed to to read to be able to run it at a basic level. Um, I also found some videos online which were very noddy but they were they were quite helpful. Um, So I spent a a few hours trying to work out just basic 5e again. Fine. Uh, I then decided because the scenario I'm going to run, which is called Where Darkness Dwells, it's one of the pre-written ones that comes with... Um, what does it come with? I'm not quite sure what it actually comes with. But it's a, it's a book of... It's a two-scenario book. Um, it's not designed as a convention scenario, so it's quite... It could run... It's quite a, could be quite a long scenario. Um but yeah, it's got no pre-generated characters. So I decided I would create five characters. And that took me all fucking day. I mean, mm. I quite enjoy creating characters normally, but I was using that as an opportunity to try and make sure I understood the rules mechanics. Yeah. and understood what what stats created what bonuses or negatives that applied to what roles that applied to, you know, and Uncle Tom Cobbley and all. Um and then I had to go through the spells for the couple of casters that we've got. And it wasn't clear how many spells in Ruins of Simbroom they get at certainly how many cantrips they get. Cantrips, yeah. And, yeah. and then I had to work out how corruption works in, uh, in Ruins of Simbroom. So it, it, on the one hand, I found it quite nostalgic going back into old D&D. And because mm-hmm. obviously 5e is very similar in many, many ways to to what the old AD&D was that I remember from back in the day. Um, so I, I, I found some of that quite quite fun, actually, going, getting into it. <clears throat> uh, on the other hand, it's really frustrating because unless you're a regular player and you play it all the time, there's going to be some nuance or some twist of a rule somewhere that you're, ne- you're either never going to know or you're never going to remember. So I'm, I'm not nervous about running it, but I'm nervous of running it around a table of people who just have played Five E for the last twenty years. Yeah, because <laughs> well, I'm because they're going to pull me up on anything that I get wrong, and I'm going to get some stuff wrong. 
be reassured um, that they haven't been playing 5e for the last 20 years so they'll have been playing it for the last 10 years because it's about 10 years old now. well okay you know what you know what i mean <laughs> Um, Before that, they were playing 4 and 3.5 and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and it is, you know, it is a very crunchy game. You know, there mm. are so many rules. And, uh, yeah, it is, it, it is so, so designed around tactic, you know, tactical combat, almost to the point where you could say it should really be a miniatures game rather than a role-playing game um, because it is... And, of course, a lot of people say that it is. Yeah, and a lot of people use miniatures, which is absolutely yeah. fine. Um, I didn't. I I don't have good enough maps of the locations that I would mm. want to use at a convention. If I had proper published maps of the locations, then I would use figures, probably, if I've got space on the table, which I might not. Um but seeing I don't, so I'm not going to be using figures for, for the game. Um, so, I, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a slog. And a lot of going backwards and forwards to recheck stuff that I thought I'd checked. And then somewhere else it seemed to be different. And um, good that when I playtested it, a couple of the players, at least, if not three, are quite experienced 5e players. So they were able to help me out. Um so yeah, I I do have a fear because combat is obviously such a big part of 5e, I have a fear that it's going to be difficult to run what feels like a story in an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes because the combats can take up quite a lot of time. Um, yeah. And I think it feels to me that Ruins of Symbarum has got two things it's trying to it wants to showcase uh as a demo game at a convention one is the world of Simbarum, and you know in a 90 minute game i haven't got very long to do an exposition on the background and the history and i don't really want to because i just want to give them a flavor but that's that that's 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 kind of a bit of a information dump at the beginning um the other thing is is corruption and how spellcasting works in a different way. And I, yeah, I, I'm not quite sure how to say this. I don't, again, I don't want to be hard. Rude. <laughs> um, I think Ruins of Simbaroom is, is more of a 5e game than a Simbaroom game. Mm -hmm. um, by that, I mean 5e is tactical combat Pew pew, your magic missiles and everything. Yeah. Um, lots of fighting. And Simbaroom, at least, at least when I ran it and when we were running it, corruption and the, the influence of corruption and the, and the influence of the empire that creates that corruption out of nature is a much bigger thing. Yeah. And some, some of the way that corruption is managed in 5e to me feels like the the sharp edge of corruption has been filed off so it's very difficult to gain permanent corruption mm. and i think it was quite difficult to gain permanent corruption in in original um uh original simbaroom but it always felt like it was there you know you were one step or one bad roll away from getting some permanent corruption 
which was going to be bad because your your level of corruption is quite low. Um, now, if you go above your corruption threshold, and that's when the corruption starts to have a bad effect of you, on you, in 5e, the vast majority of those effects, because you roll a dice on a table to see how bad it is, um, the vast majority of those effects are pretty minor, actually, and some of them are beneficial, because some of them, in fact, quite a lot of them, remove temporary corruption, and so reduce your level of corruption rather than increasing it. Um, the, the the chances of getting permanent corruption is is basically one in ten on making that roll. So you don't want to mm-hmm. make that roll too often, but certainly in the convention game, I think it, it it's quite difficult to bring out the kind of all encompassing presence of corruption in five e that I think the Symbarum setting probably needs to make it Symbarum, if that makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. What Um, about the adventure itself? So you talked a bit about um, uh, the issues of uh, the adventures in the starter set. What what adventure are you going to run for for Symbarum? Yeah, so it's, um, it's one of the two... Um, pre-written adventures that come in their own little pamphlet and it's called Where Darkness Dwells mm-hmm. and it's it, it's not written as a convention scenario it's not even really intru- written as a as a particularly an introductory scenario because it's there is in playing it it plays out quite comfortably in you know uh, it could easily have played out five or six hours for a game um, mm-hmm. with what's going on in it the it's written as a scenario that a GM can take and drop into their own campaign. So in that sense, um, for a convention game, it's not set up in the best way. So what I've done is I've changed the opening to make it more... um, to basically get the players on the right track early on and give them a real reason for, for basically chasing down the story. Um rather than yeah. just treasure hunting, which I thought was, you know, that might be fine if you're playing a campaign and your characters are all treasure hunters. But um, coming to this, I thought it might be worthwhile having a more powerful motivation for the characters to to basically risk their lives in what is a pretty, a pretty nasty place they're going to. The scenario itself is fine. Um, I like it. It's, it, it is, it does kind of move you. It, it, from just kind of one encounter to the next encounter. Um, there's a there's a bit, again, I'm not going to give any spoilers. Um, there's a bit at the end, or there's a part of the scenario which is about trying to purify something. And I don't think the scenario expects the players to even want to try to do that, but my players did. So I had to make something up on the hoof about how they could do that and the impact of that. And actually, it worked out brilliantly. Um, again, no spoilers, but it was a really tense final battle um, mm-hmm. that they were having, which which worked worked really well. Um, and I think unusually for D anD D, a couple of characters got killed. Uh, great fun! It worked out really nicely. So I think as a as a convention game, if I can bring them to that finale quite quickly, then we can relax and enjoy the finale as the kind of boss fight that you would probably expect in a 5e style of game 
interestingly, interestingly, um, they describe this scenario as kind of quite easy and not too challenging and a good, you know, gentle introduction to the game. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's, it's, it's a point about care, really, because the, the, the scenario is, is, is set for characters of level two or three. I made yeah. all the characters level three mm-hmm. just because I thought it doesn't, you know, I can, I can toughen it up if I need to. Um, there's one encounter in it that doesn't have to result in a fight, but might. And it did in the game we had on Wednesday, my little practice. And yeah. I, these are the guys that play the steaming rock game though, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> They're not yeah. good guys. Those players are not good guys. No, well, my, my point was that um, they, they had a good reason for this ending in a fight, actually. Okay, um, okay, okay. They, they, they could have explored other options, but they, they, they didn't. Um, but the, the stats for the, for the guys that they were going to fight were in the, the bestiary, and I'd never looked at them. I, I'd, oh, right. know, I'd assumed See. it was quite weak. And I looked at it, yeah. we started the fight, and we realised that, the four of them together had no chance of taking out one of these guys, let alone two of them. <laughs> um, because they were just far too dangerous. They were just mm. far too dangerous. So we, we had to stop the game there. We retconned. We went back a bit and we changed the ending of that scene so that they could get past them by persuading them. Otherwise, they'd all have died there. <laughs> you know, that would have been a fun right. scenario. Yeah. Um, so there's points of care like that. And there's another example a bit later on where... Um, it's not the scenario is not well balanced for characters of level two or three, but right. it's been described as an easy, gentle introduction for characters of level two or three, and it certainly isn't that. Um, yeah, and this I, is a thing about I think, and it, I may I may be slurring D and D players here, but there is an assumption with D and D players that if you are presented with a monster, then assuming you're not unlucky, you will eventually be able to beat the monster. Yeah, that, that monster is of the right challenge level or whatever for you as group of <clears> players, and you know, and there's a lot of stuff. You know, now I'm running Adventurous League at the game shop. Um, you didn't, you thought I was going to get away without talking about the game shop, but <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be the last uh, time, mightn't it, mate? You know, there's a lot of advice in the early pages of each of those adventures that says, you know, if your guys aren't quite up to the level, then these are the changes you can make, and um, yeah, yeah. And we don't do that in real world play. Uh, sorry. Hush, my man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And That's I think not it's a also... thing that we care about in, in free league games. No. And I think the other thing that you kind of need to remember um, with D&D is it can be deadly. So, for example, um, the other thing that was felt kind of slightly out of balance was, and this is probably fine for this scenario and particularly in a convention, is that a certain attack of the big bad guy could just everybody out. could just about one shot some of the characters. If he gets a crit, like he did in the game on Wednesday, he basically one shotted the warrior. Mm. And um, again, it worked out fine. It was quite cool in that situation. But again, there's a, there's a, a coming back to playability. There's a balance. Um, you know, there's a real, 
the balance needs to be set so perfectly. Um, and I think that's quite difficult to do in D&D when a couple of good dice rolls can change your damage from 10 to 30. Mm-hmm. And if your character has got 21 hit points, that makes quite a big difference. So, um, yeah, it's good. I mean, it's good. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed it. I'm gonna. I'm looking forward to running the games. Um, really looking forward to it. I think my biggest fear is that there's going to be some D&D 5e experts around the table who are going to be correcting me on all the things that I get wrong, uh, which is inevitably going to happen. But um, right. it should be So good. I'm glad I'm not there running five, <laughs> 5e for 5e I, experts. I mean, as I said, I mean, I, it did give me a, a nice twinge of nostalgia. And there is a bit of me that almost thinks, yeah, I mean, it, it might be quite fun to play a bit of 5e if I actually know what I'm doing. Um, and I think some character classes are more, are more fun than others. now you know what you're doing? Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. Thank, thank you for the correction. Not if. Now. <laughs> you're getting um, paid for this gig, remember? Uh, <laughs> so it's, um, uh, so it's, yeah. It, yeah, a bit of me almost wants to play a bit of Ruins of Simbaroom. Almost. <laughs> I might I might slightly want to play the One Ring slightly more, maybe, but there's definitely... So the, and the other thing, just to kind of finish off the thought, even a level three character, particularly if he's a spellcaster, has got a lot of stuff he can do. Mm. There's a lot of tactical capabilities they can bring to the game. And I don't think this will matter if there are experienced 5e players around the table. But if we get people around the table who aren't experienced 5e players who just want to give it a try, there's quite a lot of information for them to absorb to work out tactically what their options are. And the guys on Wednesday didn't get all of it. So I, there's a bit, is there, is there, you know, is even a level three character, is there a bit too much going on for a convention game? I don't have time to change it now, um, but... I'll just encourage the players to look at what they've got as 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 their capabilities, and you know see how they can apply them in in any fight or any any situation they might they might find themselves. But if you invest the time in it, I think that's a good thing because I can get a, a real kind of World of Warcraft boss fight feel in some of these fights in Five E, and it might be quite fun to do a World of Warcraft Five E game mm. um, for those of us who spent a lot of our times electronically in Azeroth so, let me tell uh, you World of Warcraft 5e is what they call 4e is it yeah okay I think I you and I 4e passed us entirely by but I think it was a Wizards of the Coast attempts to recreate the World of Warcraft in the D&D uh, world in D&D okay uh, and it has its fans and they are few in number <laughs> they are vociferous, and uh, most people uh, relished the return of old-fashioned style D and D in Five Fifth Edition. Yeah. Let us not talk about that now. We have gone over an hour. In less than an hour, I have an interview. Another interview. So I am yes. proposing that we don't talk about Toto like we we promised to at the beginning of the program. Oh yeah, we rather, were talking about Toto, weren't we? Yeah. Yeah, we 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 promised we'll talk about Toto next time. Yes, and um, we uh, we we close out this program. How do you yeah, say? I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And by then, you know, uh, 
I'm 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 lined up to have a chat with um, the Freely guys about Toto, uh, mm-hmm. and if, if nothing else, get some advice from them about how we can take it forward. Um, but you never know. And we'll also hopefully have had some comments back from some of our Discord patrons who are kindly looking through the text we provided. So actually, yeah. del- delaying it to the next episode is probably a uh, much better idea than talking about it now. Brilliant. Job cool. done. Good. So, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless your adventures. Bless your interview technique. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck, mate. Good luck. <sighs> You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.